Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Hi, this is the podcast where Shane talks to himself while the internet's down. Okay, well now let me turn off my dishwasher. I can't. Okay. All right. We'll we'll just uh, I'll just fucking talk while Mike does that. All right. Hi everyone. Welcome back to Working Title, the podcast where we review movies. Uh, more specifically, the top two hundred and fifty movies on IMDb's list of English language movies. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is the wrong podcast. Yeah. They're, they're- there's some good b-roll material in here um okay welcome back to another episode of working title the the podcast where we talk about movies the imdb english language movies from november that we uh stole the list um so today number 227 the incredibles uh second pixar movie we've seen uh not the last superhero movie we'll see and um what is the incredibles of course it's the 2004 pixar movie Google, Google, Google. Um, should have done this before. Oh, man, this is a professional podcast, you. okay? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, kind of the same uh, group of people that make most of the Pixar movies, Brad Bird and crew. Um, but, yeah, before we talk too much more about this one, and honestly, you know, if you were alive in 2004, you've seen this movie. Um but before I talk too much about this one, let's talk about the reviewers here in the studio with us, of course, the four of us. And as you introduce yourselves, um, the 2024 election is coming up. What movie president would you want to run or would you vote for in 2024? June. Hi, I'm June, the president that I would like to uh, elect in 2024 is President Camacho from Idiocracy. Oh, fuck. I knew, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was going to be it. I'll go next. My uh, name's Mike, and I am also voting for Camacho. Well, that was mine, but I'm Jack, and I'll just... He, he's not a president, but he's presidential. I picked Danny DeVito. Mm. You make a good president. Shane? Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, I, hi, I'm Shane. And I think we need a president who's willing to battle the secret organizations controlling our government. So I choose Abe Lincoln, the Vampire Slayer. That's that's fair. Um, I, thought, I thought you would have gone with the one from Triple X State of the Union. <laughs> Ice Cube? No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't the president. No, was we'll go D- with Ice Cube. <laughs> no, DMX. That was the one where DMX hijacked a tank, right? Like he boosted a tank. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. 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 All right. Cool. 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 <laughs> okay. So the Incredibles. Um, what is it? Um. Well, Mike, what happens in the Incredibles? <laughs> All right, so at the beginning of The Incredibles, it um, it takes place in a made-up city, I guess, where there are uh, a bunch of superheroes that are living amongst normal people. And we start with the introduction of kind of like a, 
a news story talking about who these people are, with Mr. Incredible being one of them, Elastigirl, and a whole bunch of other ones. And uh, this is kind of the glory day to be a superhero in this city. Um, super busy. We start with Mr. Incredible, who's going to an event. And he on the way, he starts fighting crime, um, kind of showing how everybody in this like in this metropolis loves him. And uh, do you, you want to say something? There we go. <laughs> Did you sense his burp? I, I, I heard it didn't take a breath. <laughs> you're like, Jack, do you need to... And then he burped. <laughs> My, Mike, you're a super... <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my pointless superpower. I can sense burps seconds before they happen. <laughs> so anyway, so Mr. Incredible is a... He's going to get married to another character, Elastigirl, and uh, they, in the in the beginning, while he's going around kind of saving the day, he uh, stops like a, a bank robbery. He stops, uh, well, he helps a cat that's stuck up in a tree, and then he also stops a man from committing suicide by jumping through the air as he jumps off this building and uh, like breaks this guy's back or something, which ends up becoming important, but. We're also introduced at the beginning to uh, the character of Buddy, who is a small kid, who is uh, Mr. Incredible's biggest fan. And Buddy wants to be his ward and be his sidekick, but Mr. Incredible works alone and uh, kind of yells at Buddy and sends him home after he shows up and gets in trouble with um, getting in the way of Mr. Incredible trying to save the day. Uh, because of Mr. Incredible's actions, but saving this guy from jumping out of the building... He gets sued by this man, which then causes the government to uh, have a bunch of number of lawsuits that make it so that um, the supers have to go underground and they're not allowed to practice superhero uh, antics anymore. Not a lot of practice there at superhero religion. Yeah, so a shit ton of stuff happens in this first scene. I'm a... I'm a huge fan of the the lens that they use for this because I, I th- we always see a similar storyline to this in like x-men right where everybody becomes um they start like i don't i don't know how to describe it they're not too fond of the mutants right Mm. Um, even though you know a lot of them are saving the world um but i think the incredibles approach was more realistic in which case everybody just sues these guys for money (laughs) yeah real quick though is this everybody's this was nobody's first time watching it, right? No, definitely not. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think we've all seen it. So I was gonna say this is a this is a repeat movie for sure. It's been one that I've watched many times. Yeah. Um, so one thing that stood out to me, uh, especially compared to our conversation about Ratatouille, which came out three years later, the animation in this, the I guess the graphics, uh, did not really age super well. Um, did anyone else get that feeling? Yeah, I, the first time I saw it was in, um, when they introduce, uh, Violet. She's, -hmm. like, hiding behind a wall, and that wall looks like some you'd see in a PVS animated show. It looks like, it looks like they didn't even, like, they use the same graphics engine as the first Toy Story movie. <laughs> yeah, everything is plasticky and shiny, and I will say, like the animations themselves are super top notch. Top notch, the way things move, the kind of satisfyingness of like the interaction of objects. You know, it, it feels real and good, but the actual visuals are kind of. Yeah, I like the uh, 
I, I like the art style, um, mm-hmm. like for sure. the, the plasticiness. I think that was by design. Um, but I also had this realization that the only reason we can say that this animation hasn't aged well is because Pixar itself has <laughs> aged super well. I think this <laughs> is can't. the same conversation we have with Ratatouille. Yeah. <laughs> well, the opposite, because I think we talked about in Ratatouille how Ratatouille looks like it could be, you know, f- five years newer than it is. And this one doesn't. I, I didn't get thrown off too much. I noticed it may have just been the port for Amazon, but or Disney Plus, I mean, but... Uh, the mouths didn't always match up. Not so much for the main characters, but I noticed like the police officers and stuff. That was just your internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that could be it. I do have the worst internet on the on the goddamn planet. The what internet on the goddamn planet? You cut out. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit less about the like the actual art of this, but something that um, I wanted to ask you guys about. So it, does, it never really talks about. It, there's a couple of times that it talks about dates, but. Was the very beginning, is this supposed to be around the 50s? And then once we move into later in the film, is it closer to the 70s? Is that I kind think of what... so. I think like okay. it was like late 50s, early 60s. Because what did they say, like 58? Yeah, 58. From one moment. of the references. Yeah. Yeah. The meat and bones of the movie has a very, I want to say like a very strong like late 60s vibe. So that was um, like kind of the, the golden age, I would say, of uh, like kind of comic book heroes. Obviously, they, they started becoming popular around World War II right afterwards in the 50s. So I liked that it kind of stuck to um, almost like a Jane, James Bond kind of feel for like a comic book. Or not comic book, yeah. but like a hero kind of movie where they had a bunch of gadgets and stuff. Yeah. I noticed that with the score. I was like, man, this sounds just like a James Bond score. Like everything. So yeah, I, I think this is probably not the last time we'll talk about this in this episode, but... It feels like such a contrast with the superhero saturation of movies, you know, in the last 10 years. And this came out three years, I think, before Iron Man did the first one that got the whole Marvel shindig started. And it is just so different in tone and vibe. And it feels like a distinct movie because it, you know, existed independently. That's interesting. Was this the first movie, I'm trying to think of maybe The Watchmen, where like... It took the, I just think about the boys where it took like superheroes and put them against us the lens of like the real life and how it it would work. Because I remember when I saw this, it was like, oh my god, you're right. Superheroes just get sued constantly. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I I think kind of the contemporary superhero movies, or at least the ones that were in this rough time frame, is they were doing like um. The Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. You had X-Men movies. And I think um, Hugh Jackman, um, Jackman. Was, was doing uh, you know Wolverine at the time. But that's kind of where you were at superhero movie-wise. Shane, I think you're, you're absolutely right, though. This is one of the first films that actually shows them uh, how they would be, I guess, like you said, in, in a realistic kind of a scenario where you can't just... You can't be Tobey Maguire and stop a train from going off the rails and in doing so rip, rip, you know, apart Manhattan and not expect somebody to come after you for some kind of money loss. Yeah, I too liked how this movie was really realistic in the way the giant monster <laughs> flew across the world from a, a secret villain island. I, I just I mean, just like the real how world. far off is that? Anyway, now? June, what are you going to say? <laughs> Shut up. It's June's turn. Okay, so Joe. Spoilers. The, that theme, though, is not new or, like, 
just in this movie. Um, I think almost in in every superhero movie or comic book or or show, it always uses that idea that the public is not going to appreciate heroes. Like, <laughs> That's the, yeah, you're not wrong. That's why they it, wear it, a mask. It, yeah, it's in every single one, right? You know, pe- like even Spider Man. You know, their newspaper guys always trying to fucking put a bad light on him. X Men, like we mentioned, uh, you know, Batman. It's it's not a new thing. I think it's the monetary piece of it was what was new uh, and introduced by this movie. I so mean, the... so honestly, my opinion is that like the whole uh, suing the superheroes is just like a, a backdrop. It's just a, a a thing that happens on the side. Um, and I think we'll, we'll get into this in a, in a minute, but I think what makes this movie good is it kind of, so, okay, so when you have, you know, uh, movies or books or whatever, right, you, you kind of have the standard set of tropes, right? Um, and you can either kind of defy the tropes and try and be something new, or you can also just uh, faithfully stick to the tropes and kind of just yes. do it really well. Mm-hmm. And this movie, um, you know, it it kind of just embraces the tropes. It doesn't, like, ham it up, um, but it does just kind of give you a superhero story that you expect to see and then just, you know, tells a few other stories as part of it too, but it just does it well. Yeah, going back to the recap, the uh, this first section in particular, it lays the framework by going through all of the tropes. Like, mm-hmm. every superhero movie has a train being stopped, you know, and they, they do it in this. Um, saves, saves a cat in a tree. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that it's... In a in a flashback sort of lens, which is what this first section is, it lays down everything we've seen in a generic superhero movie before it begins to deviate later on. And that's why Buddy, the character that the little kid that I was talking about, that kind of got yelled at by Mr. Incredible, it, he likes the tr- like he's following it like like Mr. Incredible's not really in danger. It's almost fake to him, and that's a big point that Buddy's fantasized about living in this superhero world because it it does look not real like a trope you know right um yeah so uh superheroes get their pantsuit off their their leotard suit off or whatever i was like what they take um, their pants off and uh we'll cut that oh. um, what happens you know that all the superheroes go into hiding what happens after that mike so after they go into hiding, it's um it's it's implied that the that they're almost government funded people. Like when we they had the lawsuits, the superheroes themselves weren't getting sued, but the government paid out millions of dollars. So the government has now relocated all the superheroes um to different parts of the world so that they can continue to just live regular lives. And we flash forward years later after Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl are now married and have a house and a family, uh three kids, and Mr. Incredible works at a I guess like a, it's an insurance company as an insurance salesman and or processor. And he is uh, just miserable in his life now. And uh, but his wife and kids seem to kind of be, you know, each have their own little story going on with there's the the son whose name is Dash. Um, surprisingly, his ability is to run fast. The daughter whose name is Violet and she can bend light and their youngest baby, Jack, um, who doesn't have any powers yet. And we kind of go into their story about how they're living in suburb society and hiding the fact that they're superheroes. Um, Mr. Incredible, however, does not like his life. And he is moonlighting as a uh, vigilante on the side with his friend uh, Frozo, 
who's voiced by Samuel Jackson. And they're out stopping, you know, sitting in their car, listening to police scanner radios until some crimes happen. And then they go and throw on their masks and, you know, fight the crime when they're not supposed to be. It's also implied that the Incredibles have been relocated multiple times. So this is something that is a continual theme with Mr. Incredible as he keeps kind of go out there and starting to push the boundaries of starting to fight crime and living in a, you know, a, a regular household with a family. Um, but while they're out fighting crime, Frozo and Mr. Incredible, they're also being trailed by a, a mysterious woman who is kind of following them in their car. And she's reporting to somebody that we don't know yet about their being superheroes. And uh, that kind of leads toward the next half of the movie where uh, Mr. Incredible gets contacted by this this organization to go and meet at this island. But before that, he gets fired from his job after he kills his boss. <laughs> he doesn't kill he doesn't, him. Just... He doesn't kill his boss. He threw him through <laughs> four rooms of drywall. So I did like the all the little side plots, even in this relatively dull section. Like as an insurance adjuster or whatever, he's still helping people to you know cheat the system that's cheating them. All those little side plots, I think, help to develop the character of Mr. Incredible. Yeah, this was my favorite part of the movie, probably. Just because it's, like, probably the funniest. It's, like, the most comedy. Like, when he's with his boss and he's watching the mugging. He's like, a guy's getting mugged. He's like, well, let's hope we don't insure him. (laughs) (laughs) It's just laughing. that funny, Shane? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just been... He's like... Every person that comes to you is penetrating the bureaucracy. They know how to get the money out of this company. What are we going to (laughs) do? This movie did predate the uh, American or Affordable Care Act, the ACA, whatever it is. So you're saying that this motivated the Affordable Care Act? Yeah. It was referenced directly to Congress. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Pixar, always ahead of their time. (laughs) So yeah, hmm. what what happens uh, next? So once Mr. Incredible gets fired from his job, he goes home and he doesn't want to tell Elastigirl that he's been fired and also um, that he exposed himself as being a superhero again. Uh, one of the government agents who is handling the kind of the, 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 the new potential lawsuit tells him that he can't do anything for him anymore. He has to do it himself. So Mr. Incredible goes home and finds that there is a, uh, I guess, a folder that was slipped into his briefcase while he was at work as he's kind of going through his stuff and dumping it out. And inside of the folder, there's a electronic uh, like iPad that kind of uh, comes to life and it scans him and a like MI6 kind of message plays that is from this woman named Mirage, who was the one who was trailing him and Frozo in the car. So Mirage tells him that she works for a government organization that is a top secret group that has a, a technology company that's developing technology for the government. And one of their robots that they've been working on has gone AWOL and high wired and they need him to fly out to this island and uh, take the, you know, get the robot. So he accepts and gets in his incredible suit and tells his wife that he had a promotion at work and that he had to go on a business trip to a conference. So then he flies out to this island, uh, gets airdropped in, and tracks down this robot, this like highly sophisticated robot that has the ability to learn from its fights as it's fighting. And so he, he, his job is to try to dismantle it but not destroy it so that they can bring it back for because it's worth a substantial amount of money. Anyway, so he gets this, this robot, gets in a fight with it, 
takes it down, and uh, the company that Mirage works for tells him that they'll be in contact with him. There'll be more work for him to come. And they pay him three times his salary that he was making as a uh, insurance adjuster. So after that, he decides that he needs to get back in shape and his life's doing great. We have a whole like kind of a montage of him getting a new car, um, him getting back in shape. He works out in a train yard and seems that his life's kind of going a lot better than it was at the beginning of the film. And the last girl likes it, too. I never got all those tones when I was watched this movie originally. And then I was like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> the... Uh... The, the thing I noticed about this on the second watch was it had a lot of mature themes. Yes. So, and like you were saying, Shane, I didn't realize it the first time through when I was, you know, young. But, like, people straight up die. Yes. This, yeah, which I is... was going to save that note for later. But is this may be the only Pixar movie I know of where people get straight up killed. And one of the only superhero movies, too. Or like, you know, in the comics or animated versions of the comics, they don't, people don't die, you know, but like a lot of henchmen lost their lives. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I also had a kind of a little issue and not, not an issue. This movie was great, but, um, so he gets hired to kill the robot and they're like, okay, we're going to be in contact with you. And it just shows the montage and getting in shape and going, and you're assuming continuing to work for them. What was he? Do- was he just fighting the same robot every other no, week? He, no, he didn't work for them at all. He was just—they—they they paid him essentially three years of what he was making at that company. So I think he was just every day when he was going to work was actually just him going and working out. Yeah, oh, I think so. That would make more sense. So he got paid all that money up front, and he's just been working out. Yeah. Yep. Oh. And I think he knew they'd give him another call, but. Well, that makes sense to me. I think he was just uh, feeling better about life since he had a purpose that wasn't paperwork. Ah, because I was like, man, he's just fighting the same robot every other month. <laughs> Wouldn't he like catch on to this jig? <laughs> well, I don't He's think he. I don't, I don't think he was aware that he was like the the debugging test guy of the robots. No, I, I know it, that. He thought it was just one robot that, like, and it was done. Yeah, I was just wondering what he was doing for the company during the montage i was like this doesn't make any sense what are they gonna have him do like <laughs> what's he doing on this keep, island just keep going to the island and drink martinis with french lady <laughs> i like the uh, i liked all the names in this like throughout the film they they reference lots of other superheroes and uh like some of them are going missing he's reading the newspaper and there's an article about these uh supers that keep going missing well those, he, the, the public doesn't know they're supers, but he recognizes them from people he knows because uh, the superhero community is actually really tight. And so, the guys, what was the guy's name? Um, Gazer Beam. That guy was <laughs> Gazer Beam. <laughs> and like all the ones that Elena lists, like uh, Captain Vortex or something like that. And but but so what's funny though is if you. All of the superheroes, that they have their secret identity, right? With their secret name, Mr. Incredible, um, Elastigirl, Gazer Beam, Frozo. Their kids, though, since they were after the era of having to have the secret identity, they don't have a superhero name. However, their actual person name refers to their superhero power, just like everybody else in this film. What does Jack-Jack refer to? Jack-Jack? So, in, uh, in the next movie, The Incredibles 2... He has I haven't a seen bunch it. of... Ah, no, 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 no spoilers. I haven't seen it either. Well, they planned ahead. Let's just say that. Also, small note, it is Frozone with an N. 
<laughs> I was I was saying Frozo, but it's Frozone. <laughs> we we know character names are not Mike's strong suit. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> we got tropes. We got tropes. <laughs> no, it sounds like I have a trope. <laughs> Well, Shane has a trope too. The listeners just never hear it because this trope is being cut. <laughs> so you're saying that my trope is that I don't understand character names, but I just barely like laid that huge piece of information about those kids having their superhero names. So uh, is your argument that it's um, incredibly insightful to notice that he runs fast and his name is also Dash? Mm. No, was- I didn't catch that. <laughs> We done? (laughs) Mike? Her name's Mirage, too. So, like, she's like pulling a fast one on everybody. So, So, it's there. (laughs) Wait, okay. To clarify. (laughs) What is Mirage's superpower? Because. It seems to be implied that she's also a super, but I... I think her power is that she looks weird on video recordings. Um, <laughs> no camera can focus on her. Uh, she's just a... The big she's, just, she's just tricking people. That's all she... That's what she does. She's a con person. Doesn't matter. They all beat the robot, and then Mr. Incredible gets in shape. That's where we're at. So Yes. Yes. Do continue. All right. So, during his first fight, Mr. Incredible gets a rip in his super suit. So he goes to the person who designed Super Suit, whose name is Edna uh, Mode, and asks her to repair his suit. Best character in the movie. Oh yeah, hands down. So she she now has, since she no longer is making suits for superheroes, she has become a fashion designer and uh, a, a very prominent one. And when Mr. Credible shows up, she insists on making him a brand new Super Suit and not you know throwing out the old one. Uh, so now Mr. Credible has a brand new super suit and she sewed up and patched up his old super suit, which he then hung back up in his closet at his house in his room of trophies from being a superhero. This is important because Elastigirl is cleaning out his office and sees the patch that was done on the super suit. And she knows that the only person that would do that would be this this woman, Edna. So she contacts Edna, who kind of lets it out that Mr. Incredible is back into fighting crime. And not only that, but Edna has now made super suits for Elastigirl and Dash, Violet, and Jack-Jack. So Elastigirl had some some suspicions that Mr. Incredible had been either either cheating on her or not telling her the truth, something wasn't right. And so she goes and confronts Edna, who uh, tells her that there's a tracking device in the suit and that she can find out where he's at and what he's been doing. And by doing so, Mr. Incredible... Um, gets in some trouble a little bit later flashback a little bit mr incredible returns to the island because mirage contacts him once he's back in shape and says that she has another mission for him and by doing so he gets brought into a trap by a new character whose name is syndrome who actually has been designing this robot um, by battling it with supers and learning from them in the attempt to actually track down mr incredible syndrome as you know is buddy from uh, the beginning of the film the kid now is grown up and he is invented all of these uh, high-tech weapons in order to destroy Mr. Incredible. And he wants to now become his own superhero through his technology. 
and that's why he made this robot. Um, will you also do explain the the cape thing, which becomes important yeah. later? We cannot talk about this movie without talking about no capes. Sure. So <laughs> during the during the Edna scene, uh, Mr. Incredible's talking about his new design for his new super suit, and he says that it'd be really great if he had a cape. Uh, but Edna goes through this long list of superheroes who had capes who died unfortunately due to their capes. Dude, so and it, was, yeah, a cape. it was morbid too. One of them gets sucked into a plane engine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you see the people watching. Hooked on a missile. <laughs> yeah, hooked on a rocket that shoots them off. Some of them were pretty mundane. Like one guy just got like stuck to the ground when he tried to fly away. I was like, that doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> Someone gets sucked into an engine. <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking goose. <laughs> um, another kind of underlying theme uh, from earlier I forgot to mention, which I think is semi-important, is uh, there's a really powerful line when during like while they're in hiding dash is frustrated because he can't like use his power in public and the his parents won't let him play sports because obviously he would just win all of them um and at one point uh he's like you know i'm special or something along those lines and elastigirl is like everyone's special and quietly he kind of mumbles like which is another way of saying no one is and I think that's a real powerful line and feeds into the classic like Pixar moral of this particular movie. And uh, we'll see another example of that later. Yes. <clears throat> what are you guys doing? What? This is usually where Shane comes in with something. but Oh, I just come in in bits and pieces now because I live in Djibouti. Cut that um, one. Don't offend anyone in Djibouti. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> I feel like this is going to be the kind of movie where we're all going to have a lot to say once we talk about everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like Edna Mode was a character they came up with for a movie, and they just built this movie around her because she's literally the best part of this entire thing. They're like, what if there's a lady that made super suits? Like, I don't know if we can make a movie about that. (laughs) I don't know. It's Pixar, dude. They made a, a movie about a rat cook. (laughs) (laughs) About a cabal of rats cooking in Paris. (laughs) <laughs> go ahead mike so after syndrome tries to capture mr incredible he um it's a a great scene so syndrome shows up and starts monologuing and mr incredible tries to make an escape but syndrome has this uh technology where he can kind of like make a stasis field around people and during his monologue he has mr incredible in the stasis field and he's waving his hand around and then let's go and mr incredible goes shooting off into the you know into the jungle which gives him a chance to try to escape during this escape, he jumps off of a cliff and goes into a river that uh, Syndrome drops a bomb after him in. Um, so he swims up a cave and finds the corpse of Gazer Beam, who has um, shot into the wall of this cave the word Kronos, which is important later. I don't know how Gazer Beam knows this, but then uh, it Dude, becomes... It's Gazer Beam, he knows. It's unimportant. He gazed it and... Now we know. <laughs> so he knows about this word Kronos. So he gazed it, then he beamed it. <laughs> <laughs> also, a point of issue with Syndrome's uh, technology that can't see through a skeleton. He's like, "Well played, hiding behind a super skeleton." <laughs> what? So uh, Mr. Incredible sneaks back into uh, in the cover of night. 
Um, they now think he's dead. He sneaks back into uh, the big facility that Syndrome, where Syndrome's office is at. He's behind this big waterfall of lava. Once he gets up there, he types into the supercomputer. The, the password is Kronos, and it brings up Syndrome's plan, which is to take this robot that he's been using to learn off of superheroes, and he's going to send it into, he's going to fly it with a rocket into the, the city and let it start kind of destroying the city. Then he's going to show up himself with the with all of his technology and ability to control the robot and save the day, which will then make him the hero of the uh, of the like the new era of superpowers that don't have superpowers. I don't know I'll explain that any better than that. But his plan is to pretend to be a superhero, which then he can then um, live out his fantasy of being a superhero. So in doing so, we're just going to jump through all the stuff that happens. Mr. Credible gets found out because the tracking device in his suit is activated by his wife back in town, and uh, it turns on the alarm so that he gets captured. Elastigirl decides that she's going to go and try to find out what's going on, either find out if he's in trouble or try to save him or see, you know, find out why he's been lying. So she calls in a favor to get a uh, military jet that she's going to fly out to find him and leave her kids behind to take care of the baby. Her kids find out that uh, she has a bunch of super suits and they... they stow away in the jet with her and fly out to this island. And on the way out there, um, Syndrome shoots some rockets to shoot down the jet where they barely survive. And go. they, they make their way to their island via person boat. Like Elastigirl turns into a boat. And they make it to the island where they stow in a cave. And then Elastigirl goes in, finds Mr. Incredible, and saves him. As a family. As a family, yeah. So they use their powers. They kind of figure out their 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 inner strengths and they're better as a family union when it comes to fighting crime. Yes. This is like explaining this movie blow by blow is not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, so this is as we're kind of talking about it, the more I'm really realizing that the plot of this one has very few major beats. It really is kind of it doesn't have like twists and turns. It doesn't deviate. It doesn't have like yeah. a you know um surprises or anything it's just satisfying and i think this whole um you know section is really satisfying as well because you get um i i think this is honestly where like the core of the movie is there's a bit more later where they you know confront the mega robot and syndrome and uh you know all, all that stuff in the finale but here's kind of where i'd like the the characters kind of figure everything out where you have um you know, Mr. Incredible realizing he um, he needs his family and he can't just do it on his own to uh, Mrs. Incredible or Elastigirl, you know, kind of coming through for her husband, uh, the two children, Dash finally being able to cut loose as he fights all the, the baddies and Violet, who's like trying to get confidence. And, you know, it, it all kind of comes together in this part where by the end they are kind of together and having sort of all confronted their, you know, individual problems. So I think that's why I'm, I'm really struggling to talk about this film in a sequential order, because you're absolutely right when they when you say that each of these characters is the main character. There's not one character that stands out above any of the other characters. So you get in all their stories, and it's hard to hit on all of these stories without rambling about it. Yeah. And I think the, uh, I think the, the plot is relatively canned. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's... yeah, maybe they should just, for the rest of the movie, just refer to it as the family does this. 
I think that'd yeah. make it a little easier. If only there was some term to describe these four. Something like Fantastic Four. The Fantastics. <laughs> the Fantastics. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so the Incredibles show up at this island. They find out that the plot is to destroy the city and uh, rescue Mr. Incredible. And in their escape, they decide that they're going to use one of the rockets to fly to where Syndrome has the robot destroying the city. And uh, via Rocket Winnebago, they launch with the help of Mirage, who now has uh, decided that Syndrome is, is crazy and his lack of his lack of empathy for life is a weakness. And uh, she wants to help out the Incredibles, who then make it to the city. And through a team effort, they manage to take down the robot and save the day, which then kind of reboots back to their normal life. But now they are all better people for what they learned, and they're all a closer family from fighting together. Yeah. And I want to say this is pretty quintessential Pixar storytelling where you have a few main characters and they all have like they each have one very clear personal like journey to go through something to overcome, like a very specific character arc where Mr. Incredible needs to learn to, you know, trust and work with others. Elastigirl needs to have faith in her husband. Uh, Violet needs confidence. Dash needs to have an outlet and to sort of achieve at what he can do. It's all pretty, pretty clear. And I think the simplicity makes it satisfying, you know, which is true for almost all the Pixar movies, like in Ratatouille, the three main characters, Rat and... Um, Linguini and what's her name Colette they, they each have a very specific arc they follow and it's satisfying because it's simple and because it ties up neatly it's good storytelling well now that we've gone through the plot and we can talk about just like random stuff I like to talk about the type of technology this dude uses to capture Mr. Incredible like these guns <laughs> come out of the wall and they just shoot these blobs that just like fill up with air I'm pretty like, sure I had nightmares about this kind of thing when I was a kid. <laughs> this is like if Steve Jobs decided he hated superheroes. <laughs> this is like Apple Island. There's got to be a better technology than expanding rubber balls to stop super people. <laughs> what if there was like anti-rubber man? And he's like, ha ha! <laughs> yeah. It's me, solvent guy. Solvent man! <laughs> Solvent instead Sam. of like, <laughs> instead That's a of like, to his powers. God damn it! Fuck you all. <laughs> all right, uh, I'm gonna start a timer, and for the next five minutes, you can talk about whatever you want, June. <laughs> well, I will decide what makes it into this podcast anyway, so <laughs> I don't need your pity five minutes. <laughs> No, what I was going to say about that technology is, though, instead of having 500 guns on the wall shooting rubber blobs or whatever, why didn't they just have one gun that shoots the same thing that his finger does? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, apparently this guy was the Rube Goldberg of fucking <laughs> supervillains. So this is one thing that I was thinking about with the movie um, that I liked, is that there's some absurd stuff in here, like you know, dodging missiles with like a Learjet and uh, <laughs> like these blob guns and all of kind of like the superhero technology. But I feel like within this universe of the Incredibles, it is all consistent. Like, mm -hmm. you know, within the rules established of the movie, everything works. 
except yeah, Syndrome's plot, <laughs> which is to become a superhero who saves the city from a robot that destroys the city. I was like, wouldn't that just put you in the same litigation issues that got rid of the superheroes in the beginning, but like times a thousand because you're the only one? Presumably he also had a really good legal team. <laughs> he had a legal team. Bro. <laughs> I think it, I think his plot was very robust, actually. Because uh, he, he ties into the key moral of this movie, which I think is like, be yourself kind of thing. Um, and that goes back to the quote I said earlier about nobody's special if everybody is. And he is trying to be a superhero, even though he's not, instead of, you know, trying to be himself. And then on the flip side, when the actual superheroes try to be who they're not, you know, it creates all these problems. Mm-hmm. So then that makes you wonder, like, what about the other superheroes that aren't super, like Iron Man or Batman? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess it's a it has to do with the fact that Syndrome's not a superhero. He's a villain, right? Whereas yeah. Batman, I mean, Syndrome, so he, his biggest flaw is that he has a, too big of an ego. He he makes a robot that defeats all of the superheroes, and he thinks that he can defeat it himself because he took down, I think he says, like, like I defeated you. Like, so, I don't know. There's a big, like, a big speech that he makes after capturing uh, Mr. Yeah, Incredible yeah. about how he defeated him. And I guess that kind of just gave him such a boost of, I can go and do this, you know, be my own robot that I made, and everybody's going to love me now. But then the robot actually is smarter than him because he made it that way and takes him out in the first 30 seconds of him fighting it why wouldn't you just have a kill switch like (laughs) i I was like why wouldn't you just have a button where he's like and he punches it and he just hits the button and it drops dead well it probably did on that little because the because the robot sees that he's controlling it with his little bracelet and then shoots the bracelet off of him yeah that i would have just killed it in the first five seconds and be like you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) i think you wanted the spectacle too right like (laughs) <laughs> like how he, he like types in his little wrist pad that the arm's gonna pop off and then he like punches it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you bring up a good point mike it was the uh it was his motive that made him evil not yeah. so much his actions because he did it for self uh to self-aggrandize um and killed a lot of people along the yeah. way and I think people. a lot when the a little bit we missed was uh, Mirage's character arc. Uh-huh. I think what what sets her over the edge is when she um, Elastigirl and the kids are in the little Learjet or whatever. Um, one of her last transmissions, like there's children on board, and you see her uh, Mirage like react very strongly to that. As they what plan to her over. drop a robot on a city full of children. Yeah. <laughs> right like i i feel like this is not a surprise as to who syndrome is she's been working with him for what must be years you you know this guy i think her arc was solidified when mr incredible is like i'll crush her and syndrome's like go ahead and he yeah. doesn't and he's like yeah, yeah, yeah see yeah. i knew you wouldn't and she's like wait you gambled with my life like i think she was okay with being the bad guy until she was the victim of the bad guy and it was like, oh, yeah, who fuck knows? this. <laughs> who's, who's running that island after Syndrome goes away? Like, that didn't talk about what happened to Mirage. Maybe she's the next Bond villain that's going to now have the volcano. Also, if you're running a top secret island, why would you hire so many goddamn henchmen? Is there that many intruders <laughs> going out to your secret <laughs> island that you need this robust security system? 
I feel like all, the island all of is. His staff are patrolling. <laughs> I was like, you're just yeah. increasing the chance that someone's gonna spill the beans on this fucking island, like a henchman who wants to unionize or something. <laughs> <laughs> the henchman's union there's like a strike at the airport we're not flying to the island until we get benefits <laughs> the henchman's union <laughs> oh my god 20 plus episodes in and Shane's made his first good joke but <laughs> you're absolutely right they all are, that's all they do is they patrol around that like when the last girl's sneaking through the hallway and she keeps getting caught in the doorways going from next hallway to next hallway and having to keep squeezing and squeezing. And then all these, like, just patrol henchmen just show up and, and fight her in the hallway. She also dispatches them, knocks them out or whatever, or just kills them. I, I don't know. Um, and then puts them in a closet, but the closet door hinge is at the bottom of the door. <laughs> <laughs> I That has never made sense to me. Speaking of doors as well, the lava floor, the lava that... Breaks. I was like, wouldn't the floors just still be as hot as the molten magma around it? Oh, and the control room? Yeah, and wouldn't they... it be unbearable to walk through the lava hallway? <laughs> 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 I was just like, there's got to be a better way than a lava. I mean, it looks cool, but I'm just thinking about the logistics. Like, okay, open the lava floor and then wait 80 hours for the floor to cool from <laughs> The first villain technology that uh, Syndrome made was the world's most powerful air conditioning. <laughs> and then, like, what if you wore, like, a three-piece suit and you're walking in a lava hallway and you're just sweating your ass <laughs> off as you walk into a... What was the X-Men? Cerebro? Cerebro? What are you talking about? That room that Mr. Incredible goes and types Kronos in. Doesn't it look like Cerebro? No, oh, it does. That's all I oh, can yeah. think about. Yeah. On the note of that room... Um, I felt like Edna's workshop was more villainous than anything. <laughs> She's got like torture devices set up and laser beams aimed at tables. <laughs> yeah, and then her display like system, instead of the suit and all the accoutrement moving, the actual chair that you sit on like shoots across the fucking wall. Maybe that was Edna's story we don't know. She used to be a supervillain. That just decided she wanted to make suits. <laughs> what if it was like a post World War II thing where she used to make supervillain suits, but she was just so good at it that once she got captured, they just took her to the good side. And she <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a that's something that we didn't hit on. So at the, actually, the this the cape thing. So that became important at the very end. It actually uh, Syndrome has a cape, which ends up causing his demise. Right? As he gets sucked into an intake. <laughs> Yeah, so that's another thing that is just really good about Pixar movies is they don't really leave loose ends. Like, they foreshadow stuff, and then they pay it off later. And just constantly throughout the movie, even the fancy car that um, Mr. Incredible drives back, he throws into uh, Syndrome's jet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's the no capes thing. There is, um, I mean, what else? It's just very tight writing. Like, this yeah. is a perfect example of how you take a concept and just everything pays off. It's just excellent writing throughout. And you it never feels bloated. It's a very tight movie. Just Pixar is just excellent at this. It's it's a very particular style in that, you know, the, the plots 
especially in this one, the plot is simple. We've talked about this like four times already. It's, you know, it's it's straight down the middle. Mm-hmm. I have a final note on the, um, like the, the mature slash semi-adult themes throughout this. Um, you, you reminded me when you when you brought up the henchmen. I think we, I mentioned in uh, Ratatouille that Pixar always has, you know, being a fundamentally like children's genre, uh, they always leave something for the adults to enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, didn't notice this prior to, but like the whole underlying um, plot of Mr. Incredible potentially being unfaithful. Um, yeah. You know, she finds a blonde or white, I guess, hair on his uh, clothes or whatever, stuff like that. Didn't pick that up. Um, as he's flying to the island, that he has a mimosa dispenser. Yep. <laughs> um, and then the henchman thing. After the they launch the robot into the city, all the henchmen are like, you know, taking a break to watch all this happen. And one of them, you can overhear him say, every time they run, we take a shot. <laughs> yeah, I did not remember that in 2004. I, I did yeah. not catch that one. Yeah, all these little things, man. I feel like this movie had a lot more adult themes than I remember in Pixar films, but maybe I just haven't watched a lot of Pixar in a while. But this one seemed yeah. very adult, and it was hidden very well. Yeah, yeah. It, the opening scene, the like bank robber or whatever, just opens up with automatic fire on a police car. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why I think the writing is, was what was made this so difficult to try to sum up a plot in because it was really good writing and everything that I was trying to say was something that I remembered from being enjoyable while watching it. Yeah. And I wasn't able to like not just – there wasn't any part of this film, like you said, Shane, that I felt that I wasn't enjoying it. And I've, I've seen this movie Absolutely. many times, many times, and I still go back and I watch it just for fun now and then. This is the anti – Well, and he's gone. One right. thing that I thought was weird was um, <laughs> I, did, I thought it was I thought it was weird that the uh, Learjet had chaff like <laughs> he was like dodging missiles. Again, I mean, I feel like within the the rules of a uh, a high tech superhero movie, it was it was weird, but it it felt fitting. I yeah. feel like that was almost a plot hole that they patched up late in the writing. Oh yeah, because she she gets this plane or. I imagine they went through like, okay, she's on this plane and missiles are fired and she has flares and chaff. What? And then somebody was like, well, why the fuck does she have that? <laughs> and so they were like, okay, check it out. In her room, there's an old photo of one of her old friends who she calls, who apparently they flew together and she calls him for this badass plane. Right. A government plane. That's all they refer yeah. to it as, a government plane. Yeah. What's so strange about the plane is why does she go into the little tiny bathroom to change into her clothes? I and she's said alone the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have had clothes on at all. <laughs> I just looking through a lens on her with that. I was like, is that a guy she used to fuck? She's just calling old boyfriends for jets. I mean, you can be friends with people without having sex. Really? Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Shane and I are friends, and we haven't had sex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> Um, all right, all right. Back to the laughing at your own joke stage, Shane. Suck my. Right, no, um. <laughs> then you can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So just a little bit about um, how the movie did. So like anything Pixar does, this is going to be straight successful, gold, right? Yeah. This this is pretty much yeah. So budget of like ninety two million uh, brought in six hundred and thirty three million, but surprisingly. 
not even in the top 10 for Pixar movies at this point. Uh, at the time it came out, it was pretty high, but um, it does not even uh, approach Ratatouille even, which is, I think, the 10th highest. I, um, I don't want to say this is like early Pixar, but I feel like it was before like the cult of Pixar really sprouted. Honestly, I feel like this was peak Pixar. Um, this is before like the endless milking of sequels that Pixar has kind of been doing. Lately, yeah, I think you Cars, know? the Cars franchise, like was the downturn before. Yeah, it's kind of the yeah. or plateau. I would say they're still pretty high, but Pixar yeah, I made, mean, Pixar made Wall-E, right? Yeah, yeah, Pixar has never been bad, but this is, I feel like, yeah, just just where Pixar was at its peak. Um, I'm trying to get a list of um, movies. Yeah, Ratatouille was in 2007. Wally was in 2008. Up was in 2009. And from there, it just doesn't really feel like it ever hit the same cool. magic. Until Inside Out. Yeah, Inside Out was pretty damn good. I, I haven't see. seen that one. I hear really good things about Coco, too. But, um, I mean, we're we're also talking, like, four Toy Stories, two Incredibles, three Cars, two Finding Nemo's, two Monsters, Inks. So, yeah. The second Incredible is pretty good, though. The second Incredible didn't feel just like a re- rehashed, um, so, you know, movie. It felt like it was, it, was, it was good by itself. They're not terrible yeah. at their sequels, unlike DreamWorks. Yeah. I mean, it's fair to say maybe I haven't seen some of the ones that really redeem it. But yeah, this this, in my opinion, is is kind of peak Pixar. Um, as far as um, reception goes, super good. It won uh, an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, as of course Pixar does every time they release something. Bunch of other awards, super well regarded. Like no one, for as much griping as we do about Pixar and their sequels, they don't really do bad movies. No, no. I would agree. Very, very rare. Yeah, so I guess with that said, that takes us to the most important part of the podcast, the part where we, the four reviewers here, rank it and re-rank the list ourselves. Of the movies we've seen, where do you put this one? Who's going first? June. Oh, sorry, you cut out. Um, I am going to put this movie at number three. Yep. Number three? Yeah. Yep. Between Big Fish and the Martian, um... I, I came into this toying with, like, was this better than Big Fish? Because I, I really enjoyed this movie, you know? But I think through the discussion uh, and and the plot recap, you come to realize, yes, the plot is very sequential and straightforward. There's nothing fa- fancy about the writing. It's the embellishments of the plot that were written so well that those are all the parts you enjoy. And I think had the the plot itself at the core been a little more substantial i think this very well could have topped big fish but as it stands right now i mean great movie uh but, but number three makes sense shane he puts it at <laughs> i'll just i'll just rate it for him um i think it should go between fiddler on the roof and the martian for shane all right uh sounds good mike where do you put it so that was really deep what you just said, and I agree with everything that you, you know, the reason why you put it at number three. I'm also going to put it at number three uh, for a different reason, though, because of the names. The names are really good in this film. Gazer Beam. Gazer Beam. Welcome. No, no, not really. But it, number three is it's it's definitely above uh, the majority of films that we've watched so far just because I like to rewatch this film. And that's a big I think that's your isn't that your standard if you rewatch it or not? 
I think that's Shane's, yeah. Oh, yeah. On that note, welcome back, Shane. Where'd you put this one? He puts it at number seven. Okay. <laughs> so I assume it's my turn. Um, <laughs> this movie is a wonderful movie. I enjoyed every second of it. But like June, I'm going to put it at number three. Because while it is a wonderful movie I'd watch a lot of times, it didn't hit me like Big Fish did or her. Like emotionally or like in my brain mentally i guess <laughs> her penetrated my brain big fish penetrated my heart <laughs> incredibles it, didn't it penetrate just didn't me touch me in the thought place <laughs> <laughs> yeah number number three for me incredibles so i'm gonna break the trend and i'm gonna put it at number five um Again, it kind of feels like the best of the rest, you know. Um, this just I, shows how much you really like Sleuth. I thought Sleuth was really good. Um, and I don't know what is wrong with you all if you put it at number 12 <laughs> or number 11. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the... Well, okay, so final verdict. Uh, do you recommend watching this? Yes. June? Absolutely. Shane, you got to say it while you you still have internet. <laughs> Shane? No. Yes. Of course. <laughs> A thousand times. Mike? Yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. I think it's yeses all around. Anyway, thanks for joining us for another week of Work Title, the podcast where we talk about movies. We'll catch you again next week where we will be watching and reviewing um, great, great follow-up to The Incredibles, Blood Diamond. <laughs> oh, it's the sequel to The Incredibles. No, it's not. <laughs>